I should be the one to go. Huh? All right, works for me. Whoa, 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 wait, I thought we were both gonna step forward, and then, like, you'd go, oh, I should be the one to go. Nah, I'm good to stay. But what was that nod? I don't know, I just thought we were doing a copy thing, but thanks, man, that's really big of you. Hey, I wish I could be on a ship that's exploring and solving science mysteries instead of non-stop fighting. Like on the D? Exactly. Damn, do I miss that ship. Enjoy it while you have it, Bradward. I will, sir. Hey, Cap, the name Brad just feels kind of meh to me now. What do you think of William Boimler? I love it! Hey, you like Romulan Ale? Ha! <laughs> I can learn! Computer, play Nightbird. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans. Step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the Black Mountain... This is Tyler Orton. Once again, meeting his transporter clone, one Cam Smith. <laughs> and we're here this week to uh, have second contact with Lower Decks Season 2 on Blu-ray. We did this with Season 1. We've done this with some of the other shows. Um, the shows that we found a tougher slug. We didn't examine on Blu-ray, but Lower Decks Season 2, it delivered, damn it. So we're here to have a second look at it. Yeah, and I think obviously the reason why we're doing that is while you're listening, the uh, season three of Star Trek Lower Decks is premiering, and we will be having uh, some reviews up in a few weeks. I, I think just a heads up, folks, uh, Cam and I, we will be in Las Vegas, Nevada at Star Trek uh, Las Vegas, or the 56-year mission at now that it is legally called that, which doesn't really quite hmm. roll off the tongue after Creation Entertainment lost its license. But uh, look, uh, so we've got some things in store for the next couple weeks, and then we'll get a going with the uh, Star Trek Lower Decks uh, reviews for Season 3. But uh, why don't we kick it off with um, Season 2, uh, rewatching it again. It's been about, uh, I'd say like 10 months since uh, the... Second season had its finale cam. Uh, what's your broad takeaway from uh, this show two seasons in? Rewatching this second season of Lower Decks, it really solidified in my mind that this is one of the most consistent Star Trek shows maybe ever. Where, like, I don't love every episode, but, like, when you look at those ten episodes, they hold together pretty well, and the quality bar is relatively high. Even for an episode I think is weaker, I go, well, you know what? It's not bad. It's not a terrible episode of Star Trek. It's just not up to snuff with some of the other ones in that season. So that really was my main takeaway and that it was a real pleasure to go back and watch all of these episodes. And I wouldn't say that for some Star Trek shows. Some ones, you know, it's not so much fun to revisit a season. Um, and the one thing, though, I will say, because when we reviewed the episodes the first time through... You have that week break. When you binge them through quickly, it became a little more apparent to me the Lower Decks formula, which sometimes falls back on a, like, you know, second or third act action sequence that is extended for perhaps a little too long. And I found in the weaker episodes of the season, that really kind of ran away with the story versus the better episodes found ways to work in their animated action, but built character stuff and story on top of that. Yeah, ultimately, I'm a little bit more mixed on season two than I think you are. I agree. There's not like, it, this is not torture to watch. I found it pleasant overall. But as we came from season one, the back half of season one, there's a certain amount of momentum that was going for it. And that momentum was certainly lost through the uh, more than the first half of season two. It like The, the show really didn't start get going again with a lot of... Um, high level consistency i would say until episode seven uh definitely eight for sure but it just did not seem to live up to the expectations that we had for it after such a strong end to season one there are a lot of episodes where i i could crack a smile or i could uh, get a reference but a lot of the comedy bits it just it's the type of comedy where it's uh you're supposed to laugh because they're making a reference to something not because there's an actual uh setup setup punchline and i was also uh, contemporaneously listening to our week-to-week -week podcast reviews uh, from last year, Cam, and I thought that was very enlightening, in, in which ultimately when we got to the season finale of uh, this one, uh, why am I blanking on the episode title there? 
but uh, the season finale oh, in season two. First, first contact. You got it there. It yeah. Um, I think you and I both said it, it felt like the most Star Trekky episode that we had seen in a long time, and we're of course at that moment. Um, we had only had Star Trek. Uh, uh discovery and star trek picard and so we were feeling a little bit more mixed on where the franchise was going but we really did enjoy first first contact even though i was complaining a little bit about like kind of the uh the comedy formula that they rely on you mentioned kind of the uh, the story formula but the comedy formula for me it kind of grated on me you know it's just like there's few moments where i was legit thinking oh that is like up there as one of the most clever you know kind of uh punchlines or gags that i've ever seen that could like uh really really give you know some of those all-time animated series like a run for its money even just something like i i don't need to compare it to the simpsons or south park but even something like king of the hill which just was known for its very dry delivery you know, like these kind of this deadpan humor. I I just wish there were more of those moments in Discover or in Lower Decks. You know, and, and so look, ultimately, I like the show. I, I I'm very pleased by it. It doesn't quite get up there in terms of my uh, enjoyment levels. As say what I got from Strange New Worlds this past season. I was just ultimately a little bit more mixed on this season than I was on season one, and so I'm gonna temper my expectations going into the third season just in the coming weeks here. Yeah, we did an episode fairly recently where we looked at like the best of the new Trek era, and I didn't include any episodes from season two Lower Decks, and I was very curious if upon revisiting the Blu-ray um, set, I would feel differently. I didn't really. I actually walked away going, okay, I don't feel like I made a you know huge blunder not putting episode X on the list. I felt like, you know what? I really like a number of the episodes, but I don't think they quite belong on the kind of the top 10 of new trek quite yet but like i i do agree i think strange new worlds um still is to me the, the like the best show we've gotten out of the new era um or the best season i should say that first season but like um with this season i like that you're bringing up the comedy because it's like in terms of the references i find the reference for reference sake doesn't really grab me i found honestly the moments that made me laugh the hardest were more character-based things, which you would think might not be the case, considering this is a show that can, like, throw out just the most obscure Trek references to make me laugh. And yet it was, like, silly things. Like, for example, you had the Sherry Yem Yem character showing up in, I think it was episode 8, the one who's running, like, all the drills for everyone. And at a certain point, Mariner just tosses off the name, like, Sherry Bing Bong. Or something like that. Like, that made me laugh. It's more like characters tossing out quips that are kind of just off the cuff versus these very kind of like, almost like mannered fan service comedy moments. What if you had never seen Star Trek before and Boimler drops out of a Jeffries tube on top of Tom Paris and Tom Paris screams, ah, a Kazon. Like, the thing is, when you're watching it, you know there's a punchline in there somewhere. You don't understand what the reference is is and it, it just really falls flat like it works for a hardcore trekkie i totally get it what, what if you're just one of those trekkies that never even watched voyager you know like uh, how familiar are you with that reference and, and that's what i'm talking about what, what they should be doing though with these uh references uh, it, making them more like throwaways or like uh sight gags you know it, like stuff that uh, it doesn't have to draw attention to itself i think that's the better stuff and, and look picking apart comedy like that that is one of the most like uh like like uh forsaken sorts of things to do and, and, and like who really wins ultimately like just picking this apart like i i get it but the thing that we kept saying in all of our reviews you know from seasons 1 and seasons 2 is like we kind of wish the show had a little bit more of an edge to it but then the show comes in season 2 and, and that edge is stuff like um oh Remember that episode in which, uh, uh, I think it was in I Excretus, uh, episode eight as well, in which we're seeing mm -hmm. uh, Boimler's uh, butthole getting blanked out by a sensor <laughs> bar. And yeah. it's like, that's their sense of edginess. And I was just like, okay, that's not exactly what I was going for. Like, I, I, I just want something um, just a little bit darker. Like, I think about an episode like Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. You know, that had a certain, like, that to me is like a, an all-time favorite, like, uh, funny Star Trek episode. But there is an edge to that one, especially just the way that um, 
you can see Cisco is getting darker and darker with how he treated Rom and how it progressed from you know, a few laughs from the audience to the point where like, oh, maybe I shouldn't really be laughing at that. And there's a certain amount of self-awareness uh, in that episode. And I just wish this had just a little bit of an edge. You know, just, just okay, I'll keep going back to this. Tinker Tanner, uh, Doctor Spy. Um, I like this episode way more than you do. A Voyager episode featuring the Doctor having daydreams. No, I, and, I really like this one. Okay, uh, you, you've said differently in years past, um, but I, I'll just point out um, just stuff like um, the Doctor thinking that all the women in the senior staff were into him and him daydreaming about that it's funny to watch and then it gets really dark and edgy when he realizes that everyone can see into his daydreams like that is just that is dark dark territory there and that's kind of wish kind of where i wish lower decks would go to a little bit more often there and look i i i, I i'm making it sound as if I, I don't like the show nearly as much as i do I, I really do generally enjoy the show but i think there's just kind of this untapped potential there and I wonder how much of it is just kind of the uh, the studio or Kurtzman holding it back from really going to some darker places, you know, that that's, you know, I everybody can be defined by torture in uh, Picard and in Discovery, but I don't know why you can't get a little bit more of that, uh, that dark kind of black comedy going in Lower Decks. I just wonder if that's just not the vibe at all they are interested in. Yeah. Period. Like... Um, like to me, the, the naked time simulation actually did get a laugh because it went so crazy. I was like, wow, <laughs> never thought I would see that in a Star Trek episode. Um, I, like, what would you say is like the darkest comedy they delve into this season? Well, is there an episode that uh, jumps out? At least edgy. It's when, um, I really like the, uh, the Billups episode and, and I think it's uh, mm. where Pleasant Fountains Lie. And um, essentially, he has to lose his virginity uh, to become heir uh, or to become king of his uh, mother's uh, kingdom or queendom or you know, whatever you want to say. And uh, just him not being able to perform sexually and him commenting on it in the uh, bathroom. Um, I thought that was <laughs> it's like, that's edgy. That's dark. That's not happening on <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, <laughs> it's like... Um, so it's stuff like that where I'm like, oh, so you guys are willing to kind of be a little edgier with your comedy. A lot of it is like very, very sexual in nature, especially where they're willing to bring everybody into the communal sonic showers and just blur out their genitals and mm. uh, their their um, breasts. And I'm just like, oh, okay. But again, it's not something like um, you, you would see on Star Trek Discovery, for instance, D despite the fact that Star Trek Discovery will drop F-bombs. We still get those F-bombs uh, bleeped out in Lower Decks. And I actually agree with that. I think the the bleeped out uh, F-bombs are way funnier than actually hearing them. Um, I, I think Arrested Development uh, kind of proved that. So, it, like, that's a network television show, and you're hearing, like, bleeps all the time. I thought that was great. Yes, I do think the bleeped out uh, swearing uh, really works. And you're, of course, forgetting the, or didn't mention the Mugatu love scene. Um, one of the other big <laughs> surprise moments of this season, something I never thought I would get in the uh, world of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, look, I, I know we're kind of picking apart on the comedy side. I just, um, I'm, I'm hopeful for where we go into season three. I should say that. But, Kim, uh, what were some of the, uh, the, the highlight episodes uh, for you? Because, um, I, like, I, it was interesting listening through our uh reviews week to week and i think for a while uh our, my favorite episode is kayshawn his eyes wide open or and that was the um return of uh Riker. and then i think for a while yours was we'll always have tom paris and i think it probably took until maybe uh the spy humongous we're like okay it's starting to turn around i think it was really episode seven where pleasant fountains lie that we really started to get into that but uh, i don't know so what were some of the the highlights for you uh throughout the season though well, for me, a big part of why I really dug um, will always have Tom Paris, and I did on the rewatch as well, was the uh, road trip that Mariner and Tendi go on. And the fact that the uh, characters actually acknowledge that they haven't paired, been paired up before and it kind of have that meta moment acknowledge it. But just all of that stuff in terms of searching out this, uh, you know, Dr. Tana um, wooden statue and the kind of the revelations we get in terms of Tendi's backstory and the bond between those two characters, I thought played like gangbusters. And I'm hoping to see more of that sort of story again. Um, it is interesting that like when I think of the, you know, the, the title would very much indicate this is an episode about Tom Paris. But when I think about this one, I think about that road trip aspect and how much fun it is. Yeah. You know, uh, I, 
do like the fact that they were pairing characters up with different folks. You know, like we kind of got in that trap in season one. Uh, it was always Tendi and Rutherford, and it was always Boimler and Mariner. And you eventually just keep hitting the same beats again and again. And that's why it was even fun just to have things shaken up for at least, you know, the first uh, two or three episodes when you had Boimler on the Titan, you know? And I I, I, uh, I, I think I said, like, um, Kayshawn, his eyes open, uh, was the return of Riker. But it's actually, I, I think the season premiere that actually had Riker at the very end on the Titan. Uh, but it's really more the, the uh, Riker-centric episode was Kayshawn, his eyes open. I like seeing people in the different situations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, like, you, you even had episodes in which, like, remember, <laughs> Garrick is paired up with Worf on a runabout and he's asking Worf for uh some sort of reference to get into Starfleet <laughs> and Worf's oh, actually yeah. believing him for a split second until he realizes uh Garrick's just pulling his leg. You know, it's it's those kinds of moments that I think um you know serve lower decks very well in its second season. Like uh, even the stuff with like Boimler and Ransom being paired up more often versus uh you know mm-hmm. Mariner and Ransom. You know, for instance, you know, just, it, it gave more depth to Ransom, who uh, he was responsible for the season premiere. And it was a pretty weak season premiere that we got there. One that didn't really make me laugh. And it was just a very manic story. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll get into some of the uh, we'll, we'll get into the Blu-ray extras in just a little bit. But there, there are perhaps um, some. uh some self-reflection that I think uh, head writer uh, Mike McMahon, creator of the show, uh, had uh, over the course of the season. Yeah, like I think Ram- uh, Ransom wins the MVP award, or not most valuable, but most improved, I should say, um, the the MIP um, award, because like that was a character who we went back and forth in season one. We were like, we like him, he's funny, but there's just something kind of missing. And I think in season two, they really locked down on that, like... It kind of bugged me in season one that he was such an idiot because you're like, well, this guy's the first officer on a ship. Like, he must have some positive qualities. And I liked here where you had more of some bonding moments with Boimler or when, like, um, Ransom sends over, like, the young cadet or ensign or whatever to get, like, some, you know, advice from Boimler. Like, you get more of a sense of Ransom as a mentor and having those sort of positive uh, leadership qualities that were largely absent in season one. Yeah. And talking about character development, uh, the characters did continue to develop in season two, like where we found Boimler, uh, episode one, season one, you know, he was kind of there as the snitch. And by the time he's getting back to the Cerritos, um, you can tell like, <laughs> as much as he's annoying his, uh, his colleagues with talk of the Titan, um, he did learn a lot from his experience on that ship. And by the end, time we get to the end of the season, He's doing heroic things. He's he's um, making his way through cetacean ops. Uh, he's drowning. He, he like he's willing to go to the limit to you know save the mission there. And, and I don't know if we would have had that in episode one of, of Boimler. Um, Mariner and his really uh, her relationship with uh, her mom, Captain Freeman. Um, it, it became <laughs> I, I think a little healthier as well as the uh, this season progressed. Although they they were. Uh, there to ensure that the tension was always going, especially in First First Contact, the finale, in which, you know, Mariner was legit annoyed that Freeman was willing to take uh, command of another ship at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think they did a really good job because we wondered, like, at the end of season one, like, are they going to kind of resolve the Mariner and her mom's story? Like, a lot of the fun of season one was that tension. And I like that they found a new road to go down where there's plenty more room for character development going forward. Because, yeah, you don't want to hit that uh, kind of just like that wall and run out of ideas. Um, I thought also, like, they did a really good job developing Tendi this season. I liked a lot of the material she had with Dr. Tana and how we got more insights into her. And because of the fact it wasn't just Tendi and Rutherford paired up through the whole season like it was season one. Like Tendi and Rutherford, but uh, also got to feature into the A story more, so we got to just learn more about them. I just think like this season, they, in some ways, they didn't understand maybe what their strengths were at the end of season one, but in like terms of their characters, they seemed to really realize they had something strong. They clearly had very you know capable voice actors, and there was plenty of ground they could move into in season two. I got to be honest, uh, 
two of my least favorite uh you know b stories or c stories were ones involving tendy this season it was when she turned mm. into a scorpion uh that yep. just I, I was rolling my eyes at that did not find it a very amusing and also the one in which uh she was worried about uh rutherford not becoming or deciding he didn't want to be friends with her uh, this is all up in her head so she decided to abuse her power as a medical officer on the ship and start trying to you know like uh, you know shoot like medical guns at him and like that sort of stuff and i was just that was the sort of stuff that made me cringe but not in the uh, cringe comedy way it was just like oh you're you're making your character look kind of stupid or unlikable uh for more kind of like contrived reasons like so i'll say that um i am very curious where they go with rutherford going to season three because by the end of season two they had established that his implant is there for more nefarious purposes that he seems to be unaware of um maybe it's a section 31 dealio i i'm wondering how they address that going in i'm also curious about how long this captain freeman is under arrest plot lasts my guess it'll be resolved within the first episode. Do you do you see it going beyond that, Cam? Maybe episode two, but it's not long. Like it's going to be right at the start of season three, and it would not shock me at all because of the fact they said to be continued at the end of uh, the finale that it would make sense they wrap it up as a two-parter. So yeah, yeah, that that's kind of what I was thinking because it says to be continued. I think they'd want to have it wrapped up by the first episode so then the next question i have and i think first first contact was like freeman's best episode uh by far um but i think you know now i'm wondering what is her journey going to be in the third season you know she already established that she didn't want to take command of that other ship you know she wanted to stick around with what she described as best crew in the quadrant and i'm like okay so that's where her journey has gotten her so far so what does that mean for her going forward? I'm very curious about what they do there. And I'm also very curious where we end up with her relationship with uh, Mariner as well, because I think Mariner is going to be, um, she, she's got to come around on her mom at, at a certain point, but how much does that, because hmm. she's going to be trying to, trying to prove her mother's innocence for the destruction of planet Packled. Uh, I Does that ultimately sap the tension or is the risk that we keep, repeating the same beats over and over again between Mariner and uh, and Freeman. Like, that's kind of why I'm a little concerned about where those two go from here. I'm not really that concerned because I think I was concerned after season one that they would run out of tension and they found plenty in season two. I, I think, like, I like to give credit to the to the writers on a show that I, or a movie series or whatever that I really enjoy because I go, they're going to come up with things I would never think of. And that's my hope is that they really know where to take this relationship because, I mean, relationships can go through so many phases. Um, I, I'm somewhat optimistic that they're going to have a different angle on this. I'm just, I'm really excited to see what it is because I, I can't really predict what it is, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt given how satisfied I was with that relationship in season two. I suppose my bigger concern then is, are they just going to be repeating the same beats again and again it's like are, are, are we just going to know that oh you know mariner is just going to give freeman attitude and it's going to get under freeman's skin and guess what a couple episodes later that'll happen again and by the time we get to six seasons it, it's still that kind of underlying thing that we, we get again and again it doesn't necessarily have to get old but as you said like hopefully there's new angles into that so it seems a little bit fresh because like people's character dynamics um I don't know. I'll go back to The Sopranos. Uh, how much did the uh, character dynamics between uh, Polly Walnuts and Chris Maltesante really change? It's very, very much the same from, I think, season two onwards, um, but it was always fun to watch, you know, and, and they did different things with it. So, you know, maybe I should be a little bit more optimistic about this particular relationship. Or, I mean, look how much uh, mileage they got out of The Simpsons with those character dynamics, to be fair. Not a serialized show, but nonetheless, it, for some reason, did not get old, at least for 10 seasons. At least for 10 seasons, yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing I, I want to bring up, it still kind of irks me, uh, the Shax's return. Yeah. Like, I guess he's a fan favorite. Mike McMahon, creator of the show, he was saying in the uh, special features that, you know, he, he wanted to bring Shax back. So they just left it very very opaque as to how and why that happened and you know they kind of brushed it off like oh main characters come back from the dead all the time you know uh 
And I was just like, okay, and so what does that ultimately mean by the time we get to the end of the season? That's what I was hoping for, because it really takes away from his sacrifice in the first season finale. And they didn't really do anything with that. And I, I, I found that quite frustrating, because guess what? Next time we get a character death, in the back of my head, I'm just like, oh, they'll just bring him back for no reason again. You know, and I, I, I'm sure they don't want to repeat themselves that way, but it also... It hurts the credibility of the show to a certain degree, or how much I can be invested in what are supposed to be these big emotional moments. Yeah, I'm not... I guess I'm torn on the Shax thing. From the point of view of storytelling, um, I did not really like it. And, you know, we'll talk about the special features, but, you know, in there, Mike McMahon talks about how, like, that was kind of the point of the joke, was to never explain what it was and puts us in the position of, like, the lower deckers not knowing. And I'm like, okay, I understand the concept of, like, that joke, but, like, to me, it's also just not satisfying in terms of explaining the character's return after a very, very effective exit. Now, on the flip side, I think they use Shax in a lot of funny ways through the season. Like, that character frequently made me laugh, so it's like, I'm not annoyed to have him back, but I was kind of, like, opening up to the idea of maybe having some you know, kind of different people coming into the bridge crew over the course of the show. You know, when they introduced Kayshawn in uh, episode two of the season, I was like, oh, this is fun. We could have this for maybe, a, you know, the season. And maybe we could get some other, you know, bridge crew members as long as the lower decks stay the same. That could be interesting. But when you bring Shax back in that way, it kind of tells me you're not going to do that. It's going to be kind of that set bridge crew. Yeah. I, the thing that I'm wondering, though, it's how long do we keep these lower decks as the lower decks? Are, are we going to get like seven seasons of them being ensigns? We already saw Boimler promoted once so far this go-round in the show. I, I would like at a certain point that these folks start to become lieutenants, and that gives way to like a, a new group of lower decks. I'm not saying that the uh, you know Rutherford, Tendi, uh, Boimler, and Mariner are no longer the main characters, but they're more of the people shepherding the new batch of Lower Decks, which kind of is how you can keep calling the show Lower Decks. And they've kept the senior crew, um, you know, present enough without them feeling, you know, like uh, an intrusion into a series called Lower Decks. That's why I think it's possible, but it's just kind of like, I, I don't want to end up in that whole Harry Kim, Travis Mayweather situation where you have people that are, are, are ensigns for a decade. I think they've done one smart thing, though, that they did not do with Harry Kim was like Harry Kim was frequently on the show presented as being on the same ground as like, you know, a Tom Paris or whoever on your senior crew. So it really didn't make sense why Harry wasn't promoted. I think they've done a pretty good job here of frequently establishing that what these lower deckers are doing is at a lower tier job. And often when they do succeed in a bigger way, like Mariner does quite often, it's um, often flying in the face of what would be acceptable within Starfleet. And so you can also buy that she wouldn't be looked at as, you know, a bridge crew member. The way that, like, to me, the problem was they always blurred the line with Harry Kim. I think this show does a very good job making the line very clear between the bridge crew and what they do. Okay. Um, going into season three, uh, a couple folks I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, I, I want to see how things end up with Tendi now that she's going to be in the senior science training program. Again, that to me is another reason why I'm, I'm thinking they're going to eventually start promoting these lower decks crew members, you know, as the series progresses, uh, unless she really sucks in the senior science uh, officer training program and uh, remains an ensign. Um, the other two characters are the ones that were introduced in Wage Douche, the uh, Klingon Vulcan lower decks episodes, you know, in which we have Talin and Tog, the uh, respectfully uh, Vulcan and uh, Klingon lower decks officers there. Um, it sounds as if Talin's going to make an appearance uh, coming up in season three, just because she was sent to Starfleet Academy uh, or sent to Starfleet. They didn't necessarily see Academy. And then I think uh, Tog, the Klingon, he was tied into the whole Paclid uh, arc going on in Wage Douge. Or I, say, I should say Story Thread, not Arc. And so I think that's going to tie into Episode 1 as well. So those are kind of my guesses as to what we'll get to see, uh, at least for parts of uh, Season 3. So I, I think that could be inter interesting. I, I honestly thought like Tillin was like like one of my favorite uh characters because you know the Vulcans just kept accusing her of just being completely explosive and irrational while she was doing that monotone Vulcan yeah. voice the entire time 
I thought that character was genius. Like, just the idea of a Vulcan who comes across to any human watching the show is incredibly calm and cool. Um, and I have other Vulcans just comment how out of control and uh, like a wild woman she is. I thought was, first of all, very funny. But also, like, to me, one of the, like, great aspects of when you look at, like, the really successful animated shows, whether it's, you know, Simpsons, South Park, King of the Hill you mentioned... It's having like a really valuable ensemble cast. And I would love to have uh, Talyn brought onto the ship, onto the Cerritos for season three. I think that could be a great recurring character and would hopefully like be a great foil for someone. And one of the things that was a bit of a, I don't know if it bothered me that much by the time I got to the end of the season, but you introduced, say, like a character like Jet early on in season uh, two. And the character kind of just goes nowhere, really. Yeah. Wasn't he? I thought he was introduced in season one, wasn't he? He might have been introduced, but like he be, takes like a more prominent role off the top of season two for like two episodes and then just kind of fades into the background. And I'm like, let's utilize more of these players. Like, let's do more with them. I like that they boosted up, for example, Dr. Tana in season two. But like, I think this show needs kind of that injection of memorable characters. I like that they gave a little more to Jennifer this season. Um, that could be something going forward, but let's fill out this kind of this whole ship as opposed to just having our kind of core bridge crew and core lower deckers. I agree. Like they kind of did that with K. Sean, but I, I wish they had uh, like he would be in the background uh, a lot of the times. I think he only mm -hmm. spoke or he had only three episodes in which he had lines. Maybe he only two. Bring him back a little bit more. Um, I'm thinking about Camp Jet was uh, he was. Uh, kind of the foil to Boimler in season one in uh, Cupid's Errant Arrow. Do you remember that? Right. He was uh, uh, Boimler's yep. girlfriend's ex, and uh, he was fun in that. So, Yeah, like, and I think he was fun being really competitive with Mariner, you know, early in season two. Like, that sort of dynamic was fun. And I, it doesn't mean he has to sit with the group in every episode, you know, in the mess hall. But just, like, that injection of just different energy really helps, I think, an episode. He doesn't have to be in every episode, but, like, why not utilize it a little bit more? And, you know, we also had the introduction um, of, like, Stevens really playing kind of this, like, character that's always sucking up to Ransom. I like that they gave him a little more. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking for. And uh, there's so many more opportunities to do more of that in Season 3 onwards. Okay. Uh, why don't we dive into the uh, special features here? I would say, I, I don't know, I think I paid at Best Buy, like, 40 bucks for my set, uh, considering, you know, kind of uh, what I got, 10 episodes, uh, audio commentaries, uh, some uh, um, animatics, uh, a couple docs, you know, I'd say overall, yeah, I'm happy to pay for the physical copy. Um, I, 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 uh, I, there, there's some interesting insights that we can dive into as well here, but uh, Cam, what's your overall takeaway uh, with regards to, I guess, the value of picking up a physical copy of Lower Decks versus just relying on the streaming uh, versions? I would say that the special features are decent, especially when compared against what most um, you know, Blu-rays and 4K are putting on their discs these days. So, like, you know, there's a really solid half-hour documentary where they take you episode by episode mostly, giving insights onto, you know, the, the direction of the season. I thought that doc was fun and featured enough kind of memorable moments that I walked away mostly content. But one of the mistakes I made was watching this very close to the special features on the new uh, The Batman 4K, and I was like... This is like the special features of yesterday. Like, those features are incredible. And kind of what I got on Lower Decks is better than what you're going to get on most of the Star Trek Blu-rays. But it was less than you used to get, I guess. Okay. Um, Some of uh, kind of the things that I do want to bring up here. The uh, commentaries uh, that uh, Mike McMahon uh, was doing... Uh, they vacillated between being like those terrible commentaries where you just describe what's happening on screen and you praise whatever performer mm -hmm. it is that, that's appearing on screen. Those are just the worst. The yeah, for nothing. But then there's always like these kind of interesting tidbits, you know, like at uh, certain points, um, you know, like uh, <laughs> he was talking about how he's been trying to get CBS to make uh, a Kayshawn puppet as we saw in that collector <laughs> episode. And then he kept saying, uh, CBS won't do it. I guess they don't like being rich. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. Because those Kayshawn puppets would uh, definitely fly off the walls. There was also that, Cam, I don't know if you recall that moment. Or I, I, I don't know if you uh, listened to the commentaries, but uh, there was that moment in which Jonathan Frakes was talking about the USS Titan, and they had to bleep him out for an extended yeah. period. 
And it was like, okay, he clearly just spoiled something related to another Star Trek series as soon as he started talking about the Titan. So, I don't know, maybe you could do the math there and, and kind of uh, deduce what that might have been related to, but I, I found that uh, quite interesting. And uh, Frakes, uh, he's not known for having tight lips there. He's even recounting how he was scolded by CBS executives for, um, you know, kind of spilling the beans on uh, other things uh, throughout the uh, Star Trek universe, such as the, uh, the alt timeline that we saw in Picard Season 2. So basically, he's the Tom Holland of the Star Trek universe? He yes, he is uh, a, a young whippersnapper who looks great in a uh, suit and tie. Yeah, you got it, Ken. <laughs> and a spandex Spider-Man suit. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of my favorite things, though, and I think I, I I'm sure Frakes was being 100 percent earnest when he's saying this, but um, you know, uh, Jack Quaid during this uh, commentary is like, I don't know, like, Frakes. Well, how do you feel about Riker as depicted in Lower Decks? And he was like, I this is my favorite Riker. And they kind of chuckled. He's like, mm-hmm. no, seriously, this is my favorite Riker. And like he said that he told it, uh, told that to Terry Metalis. He is the uh, season three showrunner for Picard, uh, Star Trek Picard. And Terry Metalis apparently told Frakes, yeah, I, I get it there. And so it's kind of interesting. Um, can I be honest? Uh, I, I, this iteration of Riker might be my favorite version of Riker as well. It's, it's like, um, the romanticized, uh, fun loving version of Riker too. And just Frakes even recounting why he kind of did the, uh, leg over the chair moves. And he said, oh, no, not because of back problems. I just wanted to look like a real badass. I'm just like, okay. And then he used to just explain how he's like cracking up when somebody finally made that, uh, YouTube video, uh, compiling all those, uh, those uh, legs over the chair moments. And uh, it's just, those are the kinds of things that I really like from DVD commentaries or I guess Blu-ray commentaries versus the, you know what? That performer, just a doll in real life. Mm. Uh, what, what a wonderful person. Oh, and they're great at comedy. I'm just like, oh, whatever. It's just kind of like blowing smoke up people's butts. I'm just like, eh, whatever. And you really don't want to hear that in a season where they recorded separately anyway. <laughs> so if it's like one actor talking about another, it's like, well, like whatever. I'm sure they're lovely, but like, it's not like it was two actors actually recording their dialogue back and forth. So, yeah, that sort of stuff is uh, not particularly necessary to hear. The thing with, like, Riker, I think what makes this version of Riker so fun is that, like, when you see, you know, TNG, it's like you have a very solid, um, you know, first officer with flourishes of weird. And I think the genius of Lower Decks is to really unleash the weird and focus more on that. So you still have a very capable captain here, but like the weirdness has all come to the forefront. All the things that we've acknowledged over the years, you know, all the stuff fans have picked apart, the uh, the like holodeck stuff, the jazz, the fact that they like put it so front and center, it just shows you how you can take like a well-established character and just do a slight twist and make them very funny. Who would be kind of an ideal Star Trek character to bring in to Lower Decks just to have an excuse to kind of amp up the weirdness of that particular character? It can be from any era. Yeah, um, the one that jumps to the forefront of my mind is like, I would love to see what they would do comedically with Jean-Luc Picard. Because it's a very strange character. Patrick Stewart has done various comedy projects over the years. You know, American Dad, he was a voice on that. So, like, he's a really good voice actor. And I just think, like, look, Picard has not given me what I would like from uh, Jean-Luc Picard as an exit. Uh, I would rather... You're referring to the series, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The series. And so, like, uh, you know, fingers crossed for season three, but up until season two, yeah. But, like, I just think you could do something really, really funny with Picard. And there's so many moments throughout TNG that are just great, underplayed Picard comedy moments. I would like to see that in animation. I, I think, honestly, I, I yeah, that's a great pick. I'm kind of in the same boat in, like, who's more of one of those kind of aloof characters where you can kind of pick apart some of their weirder traits and amplify that on Lower Decks. We've already seen an appearance of this character, but not as we know him. Um, Miles O'Brien. I think bringing him onto mm. the show and what he's seemingly obsessed with guarding the transporter room at all times of day, and despite the fact that maybe they only use a transporter, like, uh, I don't know, tops once or twice a day. Uh, if that's, uh, if, especially if they're on long-haul missions, um, 
he he's talking about the Alamo all the time. He's always coming out of uh, the holodeck with uh, you know his um, Red Baron cap on after doing kind of a, a uh, some sort of a aerial battles and, and feats in the First World War. You know, I, I think O'Brien would really lend himself to some lower decks action similar to uh, Riker here. Also, always injuring his shoulder. Uh, yes. We could get a scene of him and Doctor Tana in the med bay. That could be really funny. Yeah. Is there any other characters that jump out to you? Because we're naming primarily T and G characters. Is there anyone in like DS Nine or Voyager that jumps to the forefront of your mind? I do think you could do something very fun with Sulu from original series. But yeah, what do you think? Well, it, for me, like it, I when I was describing O'Brien with those traits, you know, kind of the Alamo, I was thinking of him from kind of the Deep Space Nine era. I, I wonder though, like uh, you know, like it seems a little similar but like maybe bashir would work as well because he has similar kind of like niche interests but i just think that somebody like quark like i would love to see him on lower decks but he wouldn't actually say be served in the same way as Riker is by amplifying quark's tendencies because quark is already kind of mm. very broad at this point you know yeah i know what you mean like i i do think like just that's why, like, I think of the original series, I would love to see Sulu because George Takei, through his voiceover work, you know, on shows like The Simpsons and various other things, he can go really big. So I think you could get something really fun with Sulu. But, like, when I start thinking of, like, Voyager's tough. Like, I liked that they brought Tom Paris onto this season because it feels like an, a character that's kind of unlikely to throw into an animated show. So I would like them to not just, you know, pick the ones who are fun to see exaggerated and also just throw in some of these ones that you wouldn't expect. But, like, with the Voyager cast, I wonder what they could do with Seven. I think there might be some opportunities to have fun with that character. Uh, not based on where we found her in Star Trek Picard. Like, well, that's true. It's just kind of like, it kind of ruined that character for me over the last two seasons, though. I mean, I'm still drawn to uh, Seven naturally just as his charismatic force. I hope they kind of rehabilitate her in season three. I I'm still hoping for a seven of, seven of nine spinoff in which they actually do this character justice, but bringing her back on the lower decks, I just, the character just seemed like she had lived a life of misery, uh, immediately coming back from, uh, uh, the Delta quadrant. So I just, it, as much as I don't like where they brought that character, I, I just don't know if it would be true to make her a wacky old good time character on lower decks. Yeah. Maybe if they had some sort of like, Oh, boy, I don't know. I mean, some sort of, like, cutaway joke to something on Voyager or something. But, like, yeah, I don't know that it would work within, like, the timeline of where Seven would be on her own personal journey. Yeah. Um, Just some other things from the uh, the Blu-rays. Uh, just hearing Jack Quaid describe his performance of William Boimler, you know, the uh, transporter clone. Uh, he said uh, yeah. he started just uh, performing him as an F-boy at a certain point, which I, I thought was hilarious. Uh, we also heard uh, Mike McMahon admits uh, during one of the commentaries, he's just like, yeah, as usual, there are 10 stories going on in a 22-minute episode, which uh, told me, yeah, there's mm. a little bit of self-awareness on um, what I think you and I have found to be one of the weaker points of uh, Lower Decks. Like, their strongest episodes are when they're focusing on a single storyline versus having like an A, B, C, and D plot, you know, which can get... Yeah, a little, uh, a little grating at times. Um, also, just uh, Mike McMahon talking about uh, having to write uh, lines for Kayshawn in Tamarian and how yeah. he said it was very challenging. And so I thought that was kind of interesting to hear. Yeah, I can believe that it would be very difficult to write for that character. And that's why I kind of wonder if that's why he only speaks a few times through the season. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like, uh, this is just too much work to deal with. Um, yeah, so Cam... Uh, I'm just curious, you know, uh, overall, how do you like, uh, you know, season two of Lower Decks and, you know, maybe on some sort of scale, like, uh, are you, are you anticipating season three the same way you were anticipating season two after the first season wrapped? Hmm. Yeah, because season one left us on such a high that we really had a sense of like, this show is going to hit just like a home run right off the, right out of the gate in season two. And then, you know, we got a one of the weaker episodes of the entire series to kick off season two. So I guess where I'm at now is that if they can keep the consistency of where they were in the, especially the final three episodes of this season, we could have a really good season three. I don't know that I'm like expecting the show to like be significantly elevated. I just hope that we don't like kind of fall into some of these pits we had because like 
you know, the Tendi Scorpion was a great example you brought up earlier where it's like, like, what is this story? Like, we're just kind of like wedging in kind of chaotic stuff. It's like also in the Duplers episode where we get like a, I don't know, like six minute car chase or something. I hope they have like a little more um, confidence in their storytelling because they can clearly do it. They do it in several episodes this season. And I would like to see more of that in season three than what I'm getting in season two. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I thought they had learned some of their lessons by the end of season one. And then they kind of fell back to what they were doing in the first half of season one when we were in the first half of season two. And hmm. I suspect that's what we're going to see like going into season three i just think this is what lower decks is and um for that i i can find the show very pleasant to watch the thing that's going to bug me though is i just think that there is a certain untapped potential behind the show and i think like it could just be that much better not with like a major overhaul but just by fine-tuning it and recognizing what makes it great in those great moments that it's had and it's had many of them throughout the very short run. Yeah, there's so many moments that like really made me laugh this season and character beats that felt earned and were, you know, effective. It's just like they never had their they never had an episode quite as good as the finale of season 1. Like I don't think any episode this season quite quite hit that bar. No. But I would also say like the first half of season 1 was like pretty rocky whereas I would say this one despite the uh, you know, the premiere you know, the episodes kind of go up and down a bit, but I thought, like, as I said off the top, like, they were very consistent, where I didn't feel like the show was, like, really frustrating to me the way that some of those really chaotic, you know, first episodes were of the show back when it started. Yeah. So, Cam, uh, wrapping that up, I, I do want to bring up a little bit of uh, Star Trek news that we found out today as we record here on uh, Thursday, August 18th. So, uh, we will be getting another Star Trek day on September 8th. Uh, that falls on a Thursday, which is, you know, the days that we record usually. So I think um, that'll be good for us. Are, are you going to, I tuned in last year. Um, are you going to tune in this year yourself? Um, I would like to. It'll depend when it's, uh, when is it? So September 8th is what day of the week? That's a <laughs> I Thursday. I take that as a no, a strong no. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, I had to, I was thinking about what I'd be working that day and I don't work on Thursdays. So yeah, there's a far better chance I'll be watching it this year. Listeners, I work on Thursdays. I will be uh, tuning in. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. Uh, so, yeah, you'll get me uh, at least to uh, comment on everything that's going on. It was interesting. We got some uh, some news. We had some panels last year there. Um, it's also going to be following on a day where Cam and I will be recording uh, our reviews for the first three episodes of season three of Lower Decks. So uh, I think that should drop on uh, the 11th of September, if I recall correctly, or maybe 10th of September. But um, yeah, so it, it's going to be a packed uh, kickoff to uh, next month. Uh, we've got a lot in store uh, coming up next week because you and I are going to be in Vegas, Cam. Uh, we've got kind of an evergreen episode, uh, one that we've kind of been joking about uh, actually doing. And then we said, yeah, script. Let's actually do this as, uh, as a real episode. We're covering the Traveler trilogy. Uh, Cam, uh, you and I actually pre-recorded this one ahead of our time in Las Vegas for the convention. And uh, if you're a little bit wary about like two guys talking about uh, the Traveler for an hour, um, <laughs> this is actually like a pretty fun, fun episode that we did. You know, we really dive into the mythology, the weirdness of this fella, and like why he's actually so significant to Star Trek. So I, I would definitely give that one a listen to uh, next week. Yes, I mean, we have flirted with that episode for a long time, and I hope that the results leave people happy, because they left me happy, that's for sure. Uh, that's an interesting way to phrase that. Um, okay. <laughs> but appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know, it's not really a spoiler, but like after the tra uh, Traveler trilogy, we'll come back with a uh, full review of our time uh uh in vegas uh this will be your first convention since the pandemic um i was at fan expo uh february back in february mm -hmm. i saw shatner there it wasn't my favorite shatner uh, panel uh I, I i've seen him do uh great panels i've seen him do so-so ones and this definitely follows falls i think maybe the worst one i've ever seen and so i'm uh, counting on this man having a, a rebound this is a 90 year old man who it, it's like talking to somebody who's in his 30s like he's so quick and with it uh i i so i, I i'm always happy to see shatner no matter uh how uh 
how uh, weird he can be and uh, inconsistent. But uh, I'm I'm really pumped for uh, the, just the fact that we get to go to a convention again and have that experience again, um, be around Trekkies. Um, hopefully, uh, everybody in our group, we're, we're all safe and uh, nobody gets sick. And um, hopefully, our luggage makes it to Las Vegas, Cameron. Yeah, no kidding. Wait, uh, though, I have to ask. You know, you're saying you think that was maybe the worst Shatner panel you've been to. Was it really worse than the one where he asked the woman about her dog for like half an hour? Um, yes, because uh, oh he was at least asking people questions. He took mm. no questions. He just sat there and told uh, a story for 40 minutes. And it it was about him going to space. And you'd think, oh, that must be like an incredible story to hear. Um, it's... it. All it was is him just... Uh, hitting like the big beats you would expect it's nothing nobody didn't already know and then just tons of filler in between and i mean a lot of filler and like he could have recounted this story in about 10 minutes instead he spent about 45 minutes uh just stretching it out and the problem was the um the organizers did not immediately have uh q a mics set up for him he was looking for q a mics he was looking for a lineup of people didn't see it and then so he just went in this like monologue for the next 40 minutes despite the fact that they uh the organizers were late to the game and got q a mic set up but shatner just ignored them or maybe didn't see it for the remainder and that's why there's just so much filler in that one it was just just could you imagine just sitting there for 40 minutes listening to him talk straight without bouncing off anybody or anything it's just kind of even we made fun of him for being obsessed with pixels for a couple years but that was more interesting than what we got back in february now, what are the odds that he repeats that material in Las Vegas? Oh, God. I think they're high. I think, I they're, think they're real high. high. Yeah. Real yeah, high. Yeah. If that's the case, uh, I'll walk out, uh, hit the uh, casino floor, uh, play a couple rounds of blackjack, and you can text me when he finishes up. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Okay, and uh, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Vulcan, out of control, Smith. You can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, as in nude Boimler's butt. (laughs) Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. complete.